Hello everyone, we are back in My Energy Game, another podcast, and today we've got a really good friend of our project, Will Fraser. Will Fraser used to play for the Saracens, he's a former rugby player, and he's currently the founder and the director of 101st. How are you, Will? I'm very good, my friend. How are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. How is life? Yeah, good, 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 busy, which is all you can ask for at the moment, isn't it? So yeah, can't complain. Excellent. I mean... Just so everyone knows, Will came the other day to visit at Crystal Palace and it was great. We had a lovely uh, conversation and that's why it triggered this podcast. And basically, we decided that we are going to get the title of Winning Dressing Room Culture, which it sounds really fancy and really cool. But tell us, uh, Will, why? Why Winning Dressing Room Culture? What's your, what's your background? What's your story? So um, I suppose it's relevant for me being a professional rugby player. Um and being in the dressing room and being part of a club where uh, culture was kind of what we were all about. Um, you know, so we, in my time at the club, we went from one of the, the most underperforming club sides in Europe to one of the top performing club sides in the world. And fundamentally that success came through a changing culture um, and to getting, you know, this common purpose, shared values, common goals, and, and getting everyone bought into what we were trying to do. Um, and then obviously talking to you and, and learning more about football and, you know, that the phrase, the manager's lost the dressing room gets chucked about quite a lot in football. So it, it, I suppose it made, it made sense for that to be a, a topic of conversation. Absolutely. And I remember when we were talking and you said, well, what we did was changing the culture. And obviously that's like, okay, brilliant, changing the culture. But what's that about? I mean, what's changing the culture? What, what, can you say tangible things that, that obviously yeah. give us an idea of how you did it? Yeah, sure. So I think first and foremost, it was understanding what our current culture was. Um, so every organisation or every group of people had that a culture exists. You know, yeah. it, it, whether it's good, bad, ugly, or the rest of it, it's there to figure out. But there is a culture of some sort. So I think first and foremost, it's understanding what ours was. And ours was very much before what we call now call like the revolution in, in 2009. was very much this culture of um, short-term thinking, being outcome-focused, um, you know, thinking we could bring in the odd superstar here and there and, and it would turn our fortunes around. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't the best culture wasn't a healthy one there was definitely no concept of all buying into a shared purpose and this feeling of belonging it was very cliquey so the, the biggest tangible changes were um, a new purpose for the club uh, new values for the club and the process of developing them was very much player player driven um, so it was getting the buy and getting everyone to understand what that purpose means for them, understand what the values mean for them, what they mean for the team, and then actually tangibly, how can we live them? So what do they actually look like as a as a person? And then what do they look like as a rugby player? And what do they look like in a game, in training? And having those kind of levels of understanding, the byproduct of doing that process was actually we got to know each other a hell of a lot better, which means we got better relationships, which we trust each other better, which then in turn means you're much more cohesive unit which obviously then has huge benefits for the job so when you're playing rugby when you're out in games and tough matches and finals all the rest of it it's those intangible relationships are the things that really kind of pull you through I remember our first the first premiership we won um was two years so when we had this revolution in 2009 we finished I think second bottom of the league the year before 
oh, wow. 2001, we reached the Premiership final for the first time ever. So in the space of a year, wow. you know, complete 180 shift. Then there was this worry, as you get a lot on all sports, you know, is it a honeymoon period because we've got a new guy in charge? We're going through this process. The following year, we won the final for the first time ever. Um, and there was nine minutes extra time, of which we spent, I think, eight minutes, 30 of that, camped on our try line, just defending. Wow. And it was those, you know, when you watch that nine minutes back, what you see is those intangible relationships and those intangible levels of trust where boys are just going out for each other. You know, it's, it's completely selfless. And then after that, in the following 10 years, you know, we won four more premierships and three European Cups. So, wow. you know, that ability to kind of maintain that level was because it was built on a genuine foundation of good people who had, you know, I'm going to repeat what I just said, but had the shared values, common goals and, and all the rest of it. And then for those that know rugby, you know, it kind of came tumbling down a little bit in, in January 2020 when we got caught up in a, a salary cap issue. Um, but yeah, so so it's just, you know, I, I feel extremely privileged when doing these, the, having these conversations that I was part of the club during that kind of chunk of history. Um, and, you know, not only did it have a huge impact on my rugby, but it's had a huge impact on me as a, as a person, you know, those values, the, the, the things I learned in, on that journey are things I try and continue to live by now in, in kind of the real world. In the and, and it's funny because probably those values now and those, uh, and you, you're talking about relationships, you're talking about trust, you're talking that obviously now that has gone beyond your rugby days and beyond your, obviously your uh, playing career. And obviously that's why cre you created uh, your company, uh, mm. 101st. And that's why, obviously, we, we link up together with my energy yeah. game uh, because we thought that we share those values. And, and, and it's, it's brilliant. When, when I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about, obviously, over football industry, over football, and it happens the same. I mean, sometimes we don't realize how much relationships, trust, share goals, share values uh, can help the team. And there are loads of teams in football that they do the same will. They, they go for, like, oh, let's... Let's focus on the outcomes. Let's get a few fancy players, the best players that we think that we can get, and, and then we will win. And that will, you know, that will be the success of the team. But, you know, they forget about that, that togetherness. They forget about those relationships. So what was the, so was it the arrival of the new manager? Was it um, you guys as a dressing room meeting up and saying, we need to change this. We cannot come up, you know, second bottom again. What was the tipping point for you? Yeah, it was it was a new CEO and a new director of rugby was uh, they were the catalyst for it all. So, and our owner, so we our owner's yeah he's, he's been he's owned the club for a long long time, and essentially he kind of comes out now and says that before. So Brendan Ventil was a guy that came and they, he was the director of rugby, and Edward Griffiths was the the CEO, and Nigel kind of comes out many times post everything that's happened, saying that I we tried everything to turn the club around before, you know, we, we tried to chuck money in the situation. We tried to get the best players. We tried to do X, Y, and Z and nothing worked. So when Brendan came along and kind of told me his philosophy of actually, you know, effectively we, was, we just want to create good people because mm -hmm. if we create good people, we'll create good rugby players and we want to make memories. You know, our purpose at the club was two words, make memories. Wow. Um, and there was this whole, this whole premise that actually rugby is quite a finite career. If we can create long-lasting relationships and go past rugby, 
we create learnings for, for the players that, that they can take into their post-rugby careers, actually that makes them better rugby players here and now because they're more present, they're more aware and, and all these things. And Nigel said initially, well, he tried everything else. We thought, oh, well, I might as well give it a go. Yeah, we've got nothing to lose from it. And I think where we were lucky and where football is slightly different is that we had the luxury of time because mm-hmm. we were rubbish. As I said, we finished second box. There was no pressure on us to turn it around quickly. There was no pressure on us to suddenly start, you know, talking to Brendan after, after it all. I think the initial plan was that this was like a three, four-year plan. You know, we weren't really going to see the benefits of this until a lot later down the line. And unfortunately, because the, the people that were there and, and the buy-in, it happened a lot quicker than that. But, and this is the really interesting thing with culture. It's a very counterintuitive way of thinking because in order to create culture, You've got to spend time not doing your job and talking about what it is you want the culture to be, what you want the values to be, how you want the relationships to be built. And for a lot of people, when you look in the corporate world, essentially, you know, you're saying, right, you need to take time away from your desk to have these conversations. And a lot of people initially say, yeah, of course, no dramas. But as soon as you do that and they realise someone's not manning the phone, someone's not, you know, answering the calls, they go, actually, no, we can't do this. We need to get... And then that completely contradicts everything you're then trying to do when you're trying to create a culture. And I think in football, you get, because of the transient nature of it, particularly at the top level, you know, I think the the average lifespan for a Premier League coach manager is now, what, 0.8 years or something crazy. So this is it. So you kind of go, well, why would you then waste that short period of time not focusing purely on the football? And so I, I understand it, but it's it's when, if you can get an owner that actually will give someone the gift of time and say, look, I know what we're building here is real. I know it will have an impact down the line. So I'm going to give you a year, two years to lay those foundations. Then after that, if nothing changes, then obviously that's another conversation to be had. But I think that's the, that was our kind of trifecta is we had new CEO, new director of rugby and an owner that, that actually gave us the gift of time and no pressure to, to give it a go. So I suppose it's the alignment, right? What we were talking about this the other day when you come to the training ground. Is that alignment between the people above, the players, the, the management, the, the coaches, to think that, well, we are going to go for it and we are, gonna, and we are, buy, we are buying into it. And, yeah. and, and as you said, it's not, it's not outcome driven. And it's funny because, talk, I mean, listening to you, I could, picture, I could picture some of these companies probably going crazy, trying to get more profitable and trying to do this and that and, and probably squeezing every second out of their employees. And probably they don't realize that what they're doing is, is not allowing those employees to kind of like be creative and flourish. And therefore, they might not become as profitable as they could. And, and, and football is the same. This is exactly it. It's that, it's that kind of short-term, short-termism against you know, the, the longer, longer-term plan. Because actually, by taking that time away and allowing people to form better relationships, to build trust, build cohesion, the natural byproduct of that is they're going to perform better in whatever their job is. It doesn't matter. They're going to perform better because they know each other better because they're going to help each other out. They're going to share information. They're going to know what the bigger picture is. And so actually the way you become more profitable is by allowing the time to build these things. But because it's short term, because in the short term, then you do, you've got to be prepared to take a bit of a hit. So you've got to be prepared to lose a few games to maybe have a dip in, in your profits or whatever, because so- you're taking, time to do these so, things so will so to interrupt you there are we talking about mindset as well are we talking about not having not being controlled by fear and not being controlled by oh what's gonna happen and the doubt and the and the uh, yeah the hesitation in a mm. way 
Is that is that what we're talking about? Is having that mindset of, hey, we've made a decision, let's go for it, kind of thing. So I think I think it is, but the difficulty is getting to the point where everyone's in that headspace. So how do you and, and how do you and how do you do that? So we did it through you know just through a huge amount of talking. Wow. So a lot of our team meetings, you know, I remember being because I was only 18, 19 when this kind of all kicked off. And I remember being in team meetings. We had like these three-hour team meetings where we spoke about rugby for about 10 minutes and then two hours 50 were spent talking about well, why these values or why are we doing this purpose? Why? And because the part of the backstory is when Brendan and Edward came in, they sacked 14 players in a day. So in one day, they sacked 14 players and brought in 15, 16 new guys. And there was a huge discrepancy between, you know, on the face of it, the, the talent talent of them. So we were letting go of international players and bringing in guys that not necessarily we'd heard of type thing. Yeah. But the reason they were brought in was because the guys that left weren't guys that were going to buy into what we were trying to do. And the guys that we were bringing in were phenomenal people who turned out to be very good rugby players. So the reason I say that is because when Brendan said this, you've got to, you've got to picture some lads really dislike Brendan to begin with because he essentially just got rid of their best mate. Yes, okay. Yeah, yeah. He just, for, for, for at the time, they didn't understand why. So what Brendan did brilliantly was he allowed us to be heard. So he allowed all the players to voice their opinion, to voice their disagreement, to their, their um, resentment, all these things, and then explained, well, this is the reasons why we were doing this. This is... And I think that's how we got the buy-in because it's so, what when people make change, they underestimate the power of just being open about it and explaining it. People go, right, we're going to do this. I want you to go and do that. Poof, off you go. Hmm. Hmm. And then it's like, so if you're being told that and you fundamentally disagree and you've not had the op- opportunity to actually just ask a question, you go, well, sod that. Why would I, no, that's, they're not my values or I don't agree with this. So I'm going to crack on and do my own thing. And what happens is then we call it a couple bullshit productions. I so love that bullshit makes, production. <laughs> yeah, so you don't you want to avoid bullshit productions. So in our what we talk about there is the coach comes. So talk about you know you with your academy boys. So you go through their development plans, and you know we need to focus on X, Y, and Z. And they they go yeah, Eddie yeah, no dramas. Yeah, I'm going to go away and do these extras. I'm going to do that. Cool. You go right, brilliant meeting. That kid goes away and goes sod that. <laughs> like yeah. Eddie doesn't play anymore. Like he doesn't know what I've got to deal with at home. So I'm just going to crack on. And it's that whole, that's what we wanted to avoid. So, and that's what you get so much in business. It's people yeah. telling without the, and, and the reality is, even if actually nothing, changed. so say, let's say I told you to do something, you told me you didn't want to do it. We had a conversation, but we still ended up doing what I said. The fact that you've had the opportunity to say something, the fact that I've listened to you, that I've given you a voice, means that you're much more inclined to still give it a crack because you feel listened to, because you feel respected and valued, because I've given you that opportunity. And, and I think it's little things like that that people don't think about that make a huge, huge difference when you're trying to implement change. So it's, it's all about, again, it's all about that relationship, that trust, that, um, that not focus on the, on the outcome, but focus on the people, right? And um, this triggers my mind. I mean, for the last few years, um, I've been trying in football as well uh, to implement things with um, an expert of my energy game, one of our experts, um, Stephen Rolnick, who is the father of motivational interviewing. A motivational interviewing is all about, you know, giving people a voice, 
making sure that we create an environment in which, you know, everyone is allowed to say what they think and they feel at any given time. And there is no expectations and there is no judgment. Um, and so it's, I believe it's very powerful. And I believe that I think we should be, you know, be more brave to try to, you know, t- change those things. Um, what, what we, obviously, one, once you, you, you won the first title and once, obviously, you guys went from underperforming to be one of the greatest teams in Europe, how did you maintain that, uh, that dressing room culture? How did you maintain those relationships? Because I guess some of the lads probably went like, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, big, I'm a big dude now. You know what I mean? I, I don't need to listen to this anymore. I'm beyond the team. You know, maybe there was a few of those. So how did you maintain that? Um, so yeah, so this is we spoke just before the call. You know, it's and again you see it in sport all the time, and and often in football because of the transient nature of the managers, where a new manager will come in, all of a sudden the team starts winning, um, and then the following season they just go back to, right back to where they were beforehand. So we were very conscious that we didn't want this to just be you know one hit wonder and a, a honeymoon patch. We wanted this to be. We spoke about it loads that we wanted this to outlive all of us. You know, wow. we wanted okay. to look back in 10, 20 years time and see it, the club being as successful and still, and it would have to change and evolve and because it would be different people, the, the world would be different, you know, then, but to still have those kind of fundamental foundations that we'd put in place. Um, so the, the way we did it, so our team psych always said about this analogy where he said culture, relationships, trust is no different to physical training. So if we want to get stronger in stronger in uh, in the gym, we've got to train harder. If we want to get faster on the pitch, we've got to run more. So if you want to maintain and improve your culture relationships, you've got to train it. You've got to allocate time permission to talk about it. So if we stop training the gym, we become weaker. If we stop running on the pitch, we become slower. If we stop talking and training culture relationships, they they start to, to, to deteriorate. So it was this mindset: okay, well, how do we actually train them? How do we? And, and there's no rocket science. It was just having the conversations, but it was actually making sure we did them as part of our training. So at the start of, of at least one or two meet, team meetings a week, we'd have the first 10 minutes was just to have a conversation with your table. So they put some questions on the board, which would be anything as serious as, you know, what's your biggest fear? Who inspired you as a kid? So as jokey as were you ever in a band as a, as a young man or, you know, <laughs> yeah. or ever, anything about you? Were and you same, Will? Were you in a band? Uh, I actually was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I used to play the drums. Um, so, and, and the whole reason for that is, you know, to continue to build the relationships, to continue to get to know each other. And initially we thought it was a bit of a piss take. You know, we're like, we don't need to be taught how to have a conversation with grown men. But then when someone you thought you knew really well suddenly gives you an answer you weren't expecting, you go, Christ, actually, I don't know you as well as I thought I did. So... It was then we used to have you know structured conversations about the values. So you know what does what do our values mean to us right here, right now, in this moment? What do they mean to us building up to this final in a month's time? Um, how are we gonna make sure that we live these values and make them real? So it was having those conversations, but as I say, making them part of the training day. So again, where businesses in particular get it wrong is they think, oh, we go bowling once a once a month after after work <laughs> on a Thursday. Yeah. And they think they're going to have a great culture. It's like, well, no, because what you're telling people is that actually the culture is secondary. Get the work done first. The work's important. Then we'll we'll look after you. Then we'll think about it. So by by factoring it into the working day or the training day, what you're saying is this is important. 
know, we're prepared to take you away from work to, to create this thing, to maintain this thing, which is then going to help us in the long run. So it's, it, it's those small subconscious kind of messages that make the difference. So I think that was a massive way how we maintained it. And then secondly, again, the onus being put on the players. Yeah. So being very player driven. So if there were any um, discrepancies or any issues, nine times out of 10, they'd be sorted before the man, the, you know, the coaches even knew about it. Um, unless it was something pretty serious, then obviously <laughs> have to bypass us and go to yeah. whoever. But, but those sort of things. And I think that's, that's where things get driven if they're by the group. Um, this kind of shared ownership. So, so, where... so, so I suppose for the manager there, from what you're saying, um, his success or his personal success was more kind of like recruiting the right people um, because, that, because then those people took care of the changing room. So maybe he didn't have to be so involved in driving those things and, and, and solving those little issues that happen in a, not, not every day, every minute in a changing room. Yeah. Uh, because he had done his job by probably putting together a strong uh, dressing room of, of good yeah. people. Yeah, this is it. And, and actually, Brendan only stayed for a year and a half. He left after a year and a half. And um, the, the Mark McCall, who's still director of rugby now, he's been doing it for the last decade. Uh, Brendan brought him in as his right-hand man to almost say, I'm going to get this thing started. Because he's, yeah. he's a very very passionate guy you know if you want someone to create change he's your man <laughs> so then give it to mark to then maintain and build when mark's done a phenomenal job in in doing that yeah. um but yeah but this is it you know so the best example i'll give you is when we did the values piece you know we're all into we're on a flight out to uh so once we kind of agreed what the values were we're on a flight out to africa on a pre-season tour and every player on the flight was tasked with writing down what their interpretation of those values is like what their behaviours for them are. When we landed, we handed them all in. They kind of went through them and because obviously rugby players are not the smartest of people in the world. So a lot of us had very similar kind of things. So they got a shortlist and right, here's an overriding kind of uh, viewpoint of the whole group. Let's now distill them and be really precise. And then we had a conversation on that. And the whole thing was, we do not leave this room until everyone is in agreement with what these behaviours are. And almost, because then what happens then is if someone falls short of the value and someone does something wrong, it's not the coaches you answer to, it's your best mates you answer to. Because yeah, they yeah. tend to go, hang on, Will, like we were all in that room and we all signed up to these. We're all trying our best and you're taking the piss and go and do that. Absolutely. And that feels 10 times worse than a teacher or a coach or a boss kind of coming down on you. And that's where player-driven stuff and team-driven stuff is so valuable because you care about these people. You know, you generally have an, an affection for them and, and a sense of love and, and gratitude towards them. So you don't want to let them down, which means you're more likely to then, you know, do the stuff yeah. you're meant to be got, doing. It. Yeah, go the extra mile. This is it. And I think it is, it is the people. It is entirely. That's where the club have always been brilliant is they've always brought in good people. And they, they have brought in a few initially rogue characters, but then the due diligence of bringing them in They've slotted right in and, and and hugely added to the to kind of the the team and, and the culture and all that all that stuff. Mm. No, listen, amazing, Will. I mean, winning the dressing room culture. I mean, in just twenty two minutes, twenty three minutes, you've given us so much, and and I'm so so grateful and so glad. Um, listen, um, we need to meet up together again very soon. Yeah. We need to come back to the training ground, or we'll meet up for a coffee. 
Uh, me, that or, or, or a cold one, either or. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, that would be probably better. <laughs> yeah. but, but listen, thank you so much for your time, Will. Um, and I'm sure that loads of our listeners who are obviously athletes like yourself and coaches and so on, I mean, they'll, they'll be probably inspired by some of these um, tips. And hopefully that will also inspire some change and, and, and will inspire some, you know, thinking, if anything, thinking about their own culture, right? Fingers crossed. Yeah. I think it's, if I was going to leave with one thing, it would just be, please do. It would just be, don't, don't, sudden, don't think too big. So don't think we want to create this huge culture and just go day by day. You know, yeah. what can we do today that me, means the environment is slightly better when we leave than when I got here this morning? What can I do today that means the group is slightly tighter when I leave than when I got here this morning? And I think if you break it down to those tiny little increments, what you'll find is in the next month or two months, all of a sudden everyone's like, shit, we're in. Yeah. You know, we've got this, we've got this cool thing. So I think it's, yeah, break it down and just go day by day with it. Brilliant. Listen, thank you so much, Will. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you.